Right, we've got a bit of a different time this morning. We've got three different people who are going to come and share something on the Psalms. So I'll leave that to Helen. I'd like to firstly um, just thank God how he spoke through David writing the Psalms and just how um, honest David was in um, pouring out his heart in the Psalms because it, it really taught me how to praise and thank God in difficult and happy times. And the Psalms also has given me great comfort and um, has shown me how to walk in humility. Now, when I was first asked to uh, talk about my favourite Psalm, I thought, well, I have a dozen at least. Now, which one am I going to pick? Um, starting from Psalm 1, so it was quite um, difficult, but I, I chose one that I always think about, um, and it's Psalm 8. It's only a little psalm, but there's a lot in this little psalm. I, I'd like to read it for you first. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens through the praises of children and infants. You have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crown them with glory and honour. You have made them rulers over the works of your hands and put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the sea. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Verse 1 starts with, The majesty and glory of your name fills the earth and overflows the heavens. And I think that's just a beautiful picture. That tells me I have an amazing, sovereign, all-knowing, powerful God of all creation, seen and unseen. Now verse 3. When I look into the night skies and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, it reminded me of a, a book I read a few years ago called Indescribable, Encountering the Glory of God in the Beauty of the Universe. It gave me a new sense of the awesome character and power of God through creation. And I'd like to share with you a few facts from, from the book that you might not know. Now the sun, if the sun was too far away from the earth, much of our water would freeze and too near the water would boil. Now the earth, the earth just has the right atmosphere for if oxygen levels decreased even by a 
a few percent, animals wouldn't be able to breathe. And a few percent more and all the plant life would be burnt up. Now the moon is an amazing thing. You wouldn't believe how much the moon influences our earth. The moon is the perfect size for our earth. Now if the moon were larger, it would cause the earth to tilt so far on its axis that the side facing the sun would experience unbearable heat, while the opposite side of the earth would know perpetual sub-zero winter. As it is, the moon is just the right size to cause the earth to tilt at 23.4 degrees both bringing winter and summer to the planet. A larger moon would also slow the Earth's rotational rotation, greatly lengthening the day and creating a hostile, hostile climate. Also, the moon's gravi gravitational pull helps create winds that aid in the distribution of rain throughout the entire Earth. Only our God, people, only our God can do that. The God who created the stars, our moon and earth, is the very same God who draws close and extends his hand of compassion and comfort. He calls out the stars and names them one by one. Hard to believe he names every star. And he knows each of us by name. That's beings and beings of people. The one who spoke, spoke out these awe-inspiring wonders into being will always be there for us because he is the God of yesterday, today and forever. Now verse 4. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You made them a little lower than the angels and you crowned them with glory and honour. I know at times I do wrong things. I fail most days to walk close to God. But he tells me, no matter how many times I fail, he bends down and he listens to my cries and prayers. And he understands me. He forgives me. I've been adopted into his kingdom and held in his loving arms and covered with his wings, never to be forsaken or taken away. He loves little me. Then in verse 6 it says, You have made him ruler over the works of your hands and put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds, and animals of the wild, and birds in the sky, and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. It reminds me how privileged we are to care and look after all living creatures, no matter what size or shape. We are to be stewards of this magnificent earth and all living creatures. And as some of you know, I have a special love for little birds, especially wrens and little robins. And I've got a little picture of him here. It's my favourite little bird. 
When I've had trials or very difficult times in my life, God would many times bring me a little red robin because he knows how much I love them. And I knew it was him telling me, I have this, Helen. You can rest in me. And every time over the years, he was right. No matter what is happening in my life, I have a God who keeps his promises. And I know the one who has breathed out the stars, who is faithful and true, and whose power knows no end. And I find great comfort in that. And if anyone would like to read, uh, borrow this book called Indescribable, just to tell you a great more about this wonderful creation that we have. Thank you, everyone. My psalm is 139. The psalm that we are about to encounter will be your worst nightmare or your greatest joy. <clears throat> and so hopefully within 10 or so minutes you will know where you stand. Worst nightmare, greatest joy. Let's read the first six verses. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I get up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, Lord, you know it all. You have encircled or enclosed me behind and in front and placed your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot comprehend. So David starts off with a summary statement. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. And then he shares his understanding of what that means because of his journey with the Lord over the time. Verse 2. You know when I sit down and rise up. You understand my thoughts. Verse 3. You scrutinise my path. And that word scrutinise means to sift. You sift my path. You sift my routine. Whether it's healthy and productive or maybe a bit slack and lazy. You scrutinise my lying down, maybe for rest or relaxation. In the Hebrew, it can be also the intimacy between a husband and wife. You are intimately acquainted with all my ways. God is familiar with all our ways. Um, not to condemn, not to punish, but in order to minister, to forgive, and encourage. The Lord knows us better than we know ourselves and we've heard that so many times over, over the years. Verse 4, 
you know what I'm going to say before a word comes out of my mouth. Knowing this, does it stop you? Do, do you have to change your thoughts? Maybe there's um, somebody who has said something that's a, that has been negative towards you and um, you can respond in irritation. You can respond in love as well too. And so knowing that God knows our, what we're going to say beforehand will make a difference. Verse 5. You have enclosed me behind, before and you've laid your hand on me. Uh, David is saying here, unless God gives permission, um, his permission, nothing will happen to you. That's really, really comforting, isn't it? So, what's the common denominator here in all these six verses, the first six verses? Can someone tell me? God, yeah, you? Yeah, that's the Lord, yeah. And it's interesting, it's not just that uh, it's, when you look at it, it's God making an effort. Um, you know me. You understand. You encircle me. It's God making the effort um, to be a part of our lives. And so what David is saying here is that God is not a casual onlooker in our lives. He wants to be a part of everything that's happening. He doesn't want to be, uh, I suppose, from our perspective, in a corner in a room in our life out of the way or locked outside of our life. God doesn't miss out on anything that happens in our lives. Uh, when you're a parent and your son or daughter is, is um, doing a maths problem or something like that, you're there with them, you're overlooking them. I, I do anyway, I did. Or I sat down with them because you want to help them um, get the right answer. No, if you, if you multiply those two, that will give you the right answer. And that's what we do as parents. And that's what the Lord does as well too. He's ready to give us wisdom when we ask, direction when we need it, forgiveness if we ask. Psalm 121.5 says, The Lord protects you. The Lord is a shelter right by your side. And that's because he, um, he of his loving kindness, that's because of who he is. Then in the psalm it's as though David um, stops and tries to take in all that he's just thought about and reach a full understanding of the vastness of God's care and participation in his life. Wow, that's my word for it. Um, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too high, I cannot comprehend it. Uh, do you realise that we, we have both um, nightmare times and joy times in our life? And as Christians, we don't want to sin against him. But there are times when we do. And he knows that we sin. And he knows before us, before we sin, that, that we're going to sin. And that, I found, has been like a, the worst nightmare for me, knowing that I've sinned and God knew about it beforehand. And that's driven me to my knees 
and ask him to forgive me and um, he has, he's forgiven me. There are other times when I know that he is with me and he is my greatest comfort. Um, one of my daughters has anaphylaxis and she was coming back from Mountain River one day to Kingston. And I got a and you know what happens with, with children, we've got children in the car, all of a sudden they'll say, I need to go to the toilet. So she stopped, went to the to and took them to the toilet. And I got a phone call saying, Dad, will you ring the ambulance? I've just been bitten by a jack jumper and I feel as though I'm having a heart attack. So I rang the ambulance and uh, I'm trying to tell them what she, what's happened to her and I'm trying to tell them where she, where, that, where she is on the road coming down to Kingston and they said, look, does she have a phone? I said, yes, tell me your phone, her phone number and we'll talk to her. <laughs> Probably because I was a bit nervous about it all. And so Riley and I went and met them, um, my daughter, as fast as I could and got there and the Lord gave a peace to me and I was able to look after the boys. I was able to be there with her until the ambulance came and help her as well. Verses 7 to 10 has a wider perspective. And David says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, the place of the dead, behold, you are there. If I, I take up the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even... There your hand will lead me and your right hand will take hold of me. It sounds a bit like Jonah, doesn't it? That, that does. The love, the care, the knowledge and discernment of God cannot be limited to a particular place. This is because God's sovereignty extends to the whole of his created universe. In the next few verses... Uh, we look at two types of darkness. Depression and the darkness and safety of a mother's womb. David says, If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night. Even darkness is not dark to you and the night is, not as, uh, and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. <clears throat> I remember when the girls were young, uh, I was out mowing and I had a day where I was just completely and utterly depressed. And I felt as though I was on a, a slide in a circle going round and round, down and down into the darkness. And there were, I just felt there was no hope at that time. So I stopped mowing. Uh, the girls were outside, so they were probably nine or ten. And I got them to come over and I said, look, will you pray for me? I, I need God's help and I'm not feeling the best. <clears throat> so I got on my knees and they prayed for me. I can't remember the prayer, but straight away I felt as though a door opened and I came out of that depression. <clears throat> it 
It was as though God knew exactly where I was on that slide and he opened the door for me. Verse 13, you created my innermost parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you because I am awesomely and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works and my soul knows it very well. My fame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully formed in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my formless substance and in your book were written all the days that were ordained for me when as yet there was not one of them. David continues and he says, how precious also are your thoughts for me, God. How vast is the sum of them. When I count them, they would be outnumbered. They would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Verse 17, that God even thinks about him is a mind-blowing thing for David. And David's words, when I awake, I am still with you, hints of the resurrection and future eternity. Psalm 17, 15, David says, As for me, I will behold your face in righteousness. I will be satisfied with your likeness when I awake. So, what's David saying to us in this psalm? In this song that the choir back in his days sang? There's some really important truths for us to, to grasp. Firstly, God has searched us and knows everything about us. God even knew before he created us uh, uh, what we would be like, who we were and that. So that proves that we're not just some random thing. And so we have a purpose for being here. God created us and knitted us together in our mother's womb. The routine of our lives, the manner we relate to others, the times of great darkness, the way we live, every season of our life, all are so important to him. And when we, our life is over and we awake in eternity, the Lord is still with us. No wonder David says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. Because of God's loving kindness towards me, it really encourages me to cry out with David, search me, O God, and know me. Know my heart. Know my anxious thoughts. And see if there be any hurtful way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Knowing that the Lord knows us so intimately and that we one day we will stand before him and he will be our judge. If you're not a Christian, this is going to be your worst nightmare. He knows your life, he knows your sin and you will be judged for what you've done. The only way you can change your worst nightmare into your greatest joy is by repenting from your sin, turning away from it, 
and to believe that Jesus is God. He is a son of God and that he died for you. He died in your place for your sin on the cross and receive him as Lord and Saviour. And then we were forgiven. And because of that, we become a child of God and we are to be baptised into the name of the Lord Jesus as well. He loves me. He loves you. He loves all of us. And he wants to do life with us. There's a prayer that I pray regularly from Psalm 86, verse 11, that I'd like to finish with. And it says, Teach me your way, Lord, that I might rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I might fear your name. Thank you. Good morning. I think they might have decided to go up in age as we speak or something like that. The book of Psalms is a fascinating book in that it covers experiences of life all the way from before conception right through to death and beyond and the relationship we can experience with God through all that time. The whole book of Psalms is filled with down-to-earth words and many of which are applicable to us today. Words we can use as we pray and songs that we can sing to worship our great creator. It was, after all, the songbook of the ancient Hebrews. I really appreciate, as does Helen, the way the psalmist looks at God's creation. To me, seeing the wonders of God's creation moves me to worship and praise like nothing else will do. No doubt David, to whom this psalm is attributed, lived for years outdoors as a shepherd, and he would have had first that experience of observing nature and the world around him. Barry Townsend and I are fortunate that in where we live that we look out across the water toward the east and from time to time we can witness some amazing sunrises with colours that leave me in awe of God's created genius. Psalm 8 that Helen spoke of and Psalm 19 and many others speak of creation. But this morning I want to look at one that has blessed me Psalm 104. Psalm 104 presents a wonderful picture of God as creator and a sweeping view of the world that God has made. Spurgeon, that great preacher from way back, said the poem contains a complete cosmos, sea and land, cloud and sunlight, pla uh, plant and animal, light and darkness, life and death, and all prove to be expressive of the presence of the Lord. And it does. This psalm reminds me that God not only created incredible landscapes and an endless variety of living creatures with intricate detail, but he's the creator, the beginning, the sustaining power, and the end of all things. So let's see what David has got to say. He first looks at the greatness of God himself and says, Let all that I am praise the Lord. O oh Lord my God, how great you are. You are robed with honour and majesty. You are dressed in a robe of light. You stretch out the starry heavens. I'll get that right in a moment. 
You'll stretch out the starry curtain of the heavens. You lay out the rafters of your home in the rain clouds. You make the clouds your chariots. You ride upon the wings of the wind. The winds are your messengers. Flames of fire are your servants. You will have noticed I'm reading from the New Living Translation, so it may not exactly match what you have in yours. So David then turns his attention to the world that God has made. And he said, you placed the world on its foundation so it would never be moved. Now the ancients had some very weird and wonderful ideas of how the, the world's existed and how it was sitting on the back of a camel, all sorts of weird ideas. We're used to that photo, but 2,000 years BC, Job said, God hangs the world on nothing. How did he know that? The creator must have told him. And David looks back to the time of Noah's flood, which he obviously learned through Jewish history, which was passed down by his father. And he said, you clothe the earth with floods of water, water that covered even the mountains. At your command, the waters fled. At the sound of your thunder, it hurried away. Mountains rose and valleys sank to the levels you decreed. Then you set a firm boundary for the seas so they could never again cover the earth. And David then turns his attention to God's provision for what he has made. He said, you made springs pour water into the ravines and streams gush down into the mountains. They provide water for all the animals and the wild donkeys quench their thirst. The birds nest behind the streams and sing among the branches of the trees. You send rain on the mountains from your heavenly home and you fill the, uh, fill the earth with the fruit of your labor. You cause grass to grow for the livestock and plants for people to use. You allow them to produce food from the earth, wine to make them glad, olive oil to soothe their skin and bread to give them strength. The trees of the Lord are well cared for, the cedars of Lebanon that you planted. There the birds make their nests and the storks make their homes in the cypresses. High in the mountains live the wild goats and the rocks form a refuge for the Hyraxes. You made the moon to mark the seasons, and the sun knows when to set. You send the darkness, and it becomes night when all the forest animals prowl around. Then the young lions roar for their prey, stalking the food provided by God. At dawn, they slink back into their dens to rest. Then people go off to work, and perhaps that was something like they did in those days, and they labor until the evening. But if we want to bring it up to date, we could say it's more like us. People go off to their work where they labor until evening. David says, oh Lord, what a variety of things you have made and wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. He looks more into it and said, here is the ocean, vast and wide, teeming with all kinds of life, both large and small. See the ships sailing along and Leviathan, which you made to play in the sea. They all depend on you to give them their food as they need it. 
When you supply it, they gather it in. You open your hand to feed them, and they're richly satisfied. But if you turn away from them, they panic. When you take away their breath, they die and turn again to dust. Then he says, when you give them, uh, when you give them breath, life is created and you renew the face of the earth. May the glory of the Lord continue forever. The Lord takes pleasure at all he has made. To me, that is amazing. But for some reason, God takes pleasure in me. One of the smallest and most insignificant and sinful creatures that he has made. We are small and insignificant. So it's no wonder that David exclaimed in in Psalm 8, when I look to the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? We just sang. And you love, you love a people undeserving. That's our God. We are small and insignificant, but we're loved by a God who is big and good and takes pleasure in us. He goes on. The earth trembles at his glance. The mountains smoke at his touch. And remember how when the children of Israel reached Mount Sinai and how the Lord descended on the mountain to reveal his law to them, the mountains shook and the people were in abject fear. So what was David's response as he looked at all the world? David cries, I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will praise my God to my last breath. May all my thoughts be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Let all sinners vanish from the face of the earth. Let the wicked disappear forever. Let all that I am praise the Lord. And he gives his final crescendo, praise the Lord. And I believe that should be our response as well. We should join with David because uh, commands to praise the Lord occur some 175 times throughout the book of Psalms. And the last verse of the last psalm says, Let everything that breathes sing praise to the Lord. And you and I breathe. They tell me on the average of 22,000 times every day. So that includes us. Just last Sunday we were singing, it's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise, so we pour out our praise to you. And this should be something we do not only on Sunday mornings, but every day of the week we should praise him in a way that brings about change in our lives and reaches out to other people as well. Praise him not only for his incredible creation but for who and what he is. Looking at God and his wonders, I can't help thinking of the chorus of that song, Down From His Glory, where we sing, Oh, how I love him, how I adore him, my breath, my sunshine, my all in all. The great creator became my saviour, and all God's fullness dwelleth in him.